selfishness, anger, lies, and bitterness. You still love me. for having us in their home and I think uh, I think I've been adopted into their family <laughs> anyways uh, good evening could you turn your Bibles to Romans 15 verse, uh, verse 30 Thank and good evening to those on Pal Talk as well Romans chapter 15 verse 30 and uh, believe it or not we're going to finish uh, Romans 15 tonight that chapter and actually uh, I'm working on Romans 16 uh, uh, verse 26 so I have uh, two more verses to work on in Romans, and I'll be personally done with the study. And we'll finish off the, uh, the book of Romans uh, at the end of uh, August 29th is what I'm scheduled to finish it off. So that's on a Sunday. So we wrap that up, and then we'll be doing the book of Jonah. Uh, I think it's Tuesday, August 31st. So 
Well, that was a long haul. I think this is, uh, it's, uh, right now, this, uh, this evening is going to be our 542nd hour in the Book of Romans. And then, uh, I think it's going to be 553 hours total, or 554 hours total in the Book of Romans. So if, you didn't, if we didn't learn anything from the Book of Romans, we never will after 500 hours. I know I learned a lot, and uh, so hopefully you guys did too. So you should be in Romans chapter 15, verse 30, and we're going to take a moment of silent prayer as we normally do, normally do to be, uh, before we begin to hear the teaching of the Word of God. And this is very important. I always remember, remind people, people take it for granted. They walk in, even doctrinal people who have been in doctrinal ministries in the sense that they know about the confession of sin. We don't take it, be familiar with it. Uh, if we are not in fellowship with God, we're not going to hear what the Spirit says. We might understand it intellectually. That does not good enough. It has to become spiritual phenomena. It must become metabolized doctrine, a doctrine that we have a, a, a believe in and applied, and it's in our circulating in our stream of consciousness. There are many things in the Word of God we don't even realize that we reject for various reasons. The sin nature, or we just don't understand yet. But uh, we, in order to, to uh, grow spiritually, the first step in growing spiritually is that we're in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, He speaks to us through the teaching of the Word of God. And remember, the Scriptures are inspired by the Spirit. And the Spirit is the one who gives us understanding of the Scriptures as Jesus taught in His Upper Room Discourse in John chapter 15, uh, 16, verses 13 through 15. And uh, Paul taught that uh, principle in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So... Uh, and once we've uh, confessed the sin, that just restores us to fellowship. And if we immediately start thinking sinful thoughts or in rejection of the Word of God, we start thinking thoughts that are not in the Word of God or not in accordance with the Word of God, we're out of fellowship again. So the importance is confess the sin, and then we need to we need to stay in fellowship by bringing our thoughts into obedience to the Spirit. That's being filled with the Spirit, commanded us in Ephesians 5:18. It's synonymous with letting the word of Christ richly dwell in our soul, Colossians 3.16. This synonymous because if you look at both passages, they both reveal the same, uh, uh, present the same results. Also remember that they're synonymous because the Spirit inspires the word of Christ. And uh, so if you're obeying, you're letting the word of Christ richly dwell in your soul, you're also at the same time obeying the command of Ephesians 5.18 to be filled with the Spirit. If there's anything that's bothering you, disturbing or distracting to you, we all have problems and difficulties. Uh, we're not to be worried about these things. Worrying about these things is sin. We're to uh, cast all our anxieties upon the Lord because He cares for us. 1 Peter 5.7 teaches that. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time to study your word. We thank you for those who are here in the Thompson household. And we thank you, Father, for them also opening up their homes to us and to, hear, to have the word of God taught here, just as it was the case in the early first century church where they, they taught the word of God in homes. And we just thank you for those who are on Pal Talk in different parts of this country and the world that are serious about the word of God and those who might be visiting the website at a later date and that are serious about their relationship with God. We just thank you, Father, 
for treating us in grace, treating us in a manner that we don't deserve. Father, we know that we none of us has any merit before you as your book, the book of Romans has taught us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we know that we've been accepted into your family based upon the merits of the object of our faith, Jesus Christ. We know now that we've been treated in grace in a manner that we don't deserve and receive the forgiveness of all of our sins. And we know that uh, your Son, Jesus Christ, stands at your right hand interceding for us when the devil makes accusations against us as he does day and night at the throne, as your word states in Revelation 12.10. We thank you, Father, for his saving work and his great high priesthood and his intercessory prayer ministry for us. And we also thank you for the, the Holy Spirit who prays for us as well. And we just lift up the body of Christ and we just pray, Father, for the body of Christ worldwide that all of it, could, all, every one of us could grow in love toward you and each other, that we would uh, get enlightenment and insight from the Spirit through the Scriptures into the great power and love that has been directed toward us because of our union and identification with your Son, Jesus Christ. We know, Father, that the moment we converted to your uh, Christianity and became uh, believers in your Son, Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit placed us in union with your Son and identified us with your Son in his crucifixion, his death, his burial, resurrection, and session. And so that now we're a new spiritual species and behold, the old things have passed away with sin and Satan and behold, new things have come. And help us to take that on faith, Father. Help us to see that you love us and that if you loved us when we were your enemies by sending your Son to the cross, how much more will you freely give us all things now that we're entered into your family through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray for this evening that you would help all those who are listening to this Bible class or viewing it to concentrate, to listen to what the Spirit says to us through the teaching of the Word of God. We pray, Father, that they would pick up the application, that they would have the discernment to understand what the application is that the Spirit is giving to each one of us and help us to receive the necessary spiritual nourishment that each one of us needs. We pray that you would give grace to the communicator. Help him to help this vessel to communicate your word with accuracy and clarity, reverence, respect, and power so that your people would be ministered to built up and edified spiritually, and you and your Son, Jesus Christ, would be glorified. So, Father, we pray for these things in people. In our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name, amen. You should be at Romans chapter 15, verse 30, and that's, uh, that verse begins the final paragraph of chapter 15. And uh, this evening, as I noted at the beginning, we're going to complete our study of Romans chapter 15 by noting verse 33, which reveals Paul's spirit-inspired desire that the spirit who produces peace in our lives and among believers would cause himself to be manifested among the Roman believers. And then he goes on to affirm in this verse that this was indeed taking place. Now remember, uh, the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential to our growing to spiritual, uh, to spiritual maturity, to growing to Christ-likeness. The Holy Spirit came to indwell our bodies, in particular our souls, in order to give us a, the basis of the operation for uh, a, a, a principle of victory over the sin nature in Satan. So we have the Holy Spirit. Remember it says in Galatians that the Spirit wars against the flesh. It's not us warring against the flesh. It's the Spirit warring against the flesh. So we can either choose to listen to what the Spirit says, or we can choose to listen and be obedient to the sin nature. And the sin nature is always going to ask us and tell us to do things that are contrary to the Word of God, just like the devil in his kingdom does as well, the cosmic system of Satan. So we can choose the Spirit, and the Spirit speaks to us through the teaching of the Word of God, as we noted at the beginning, and many times. So the Paul's going to talk about this evening, in verse 33 of Romans chapter 15, he's actually going to reveal 
a spirit-inspired desire that the spirit who produces peace in believers and among believers, between believers, would cause himself to be manifested among the Roman believers. And then he, he actually affirms that this was a t indeed taking place among the Roman believers. And we know that because of Paul's statements in, uh, in uh, Romans uh, chapter 15. Remember he talked about that I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you're full of goodness uh, and able to admonish one another. And so he was confident. He was also rejoices about their obedience, as we see in Romans chapter 16. So he, was, he had reports that, that he also said in Romans 1.8 that their faith was known throughout the Roman Empire. So he had reports from those people he mentions in Romans 16. He had reports from them that the Roman believers were indeed actually applying all the things that he taught in the main argument of the epistle. The main argument of the epistle was in Romans 1.16 all the way to Romans 15.13. So he could affirm that this was taking place, that the Holy Spirit was causing himself to be manifested among the Roman believers because he had reports that it was taking place among the Roman believers. Now look at Romans 15 verse 30. It says, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. What's the now? What is the? You know, we saw that the basis for this prayer was their common relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he means by by our Lord Jesus Christ. The other basis for them praying for Paul was the love which is produced by the Spirit, that divine love. Uh, remember, God's love is different from human love, and that. God's love doesn't need an attractive object. Human love does. And God asks us to operate in the love that He has. And he, he, we can love the unlovely. We can love those who wound us. And when we love those who wound us, oh, and we just love the body of Christ and they haven't wounded us. We can do that. We can pray for them because of this love. God's love, produced by the Spirit, motivates us to pray for believers. And Paul is asking them, on the basis of these two things, their common relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that they shared, and also the love that is produced by the Spirit, based upon those two things, those pr two principles, those two concepts, they were to pray together with Him. It says, strive together with me. It means fight together with me. Not fight against me, but fight together with me. In your prayers to God for me. Now here's the content of his prayer in verse 31. That I might be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea. That was uh, we saw in, in Acts chapter 22 was fulfilled. That prayer was answered. And then he says, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. That too, as recorded, as recorded in Acts chapter 22 we saw, was also fulfilled. And then he says, so, and here's the ultimate, uh, uh, the ultimate objective of the prayer, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God. And of course, that did take place as Acts chapter 28 records. Paul came, however, as a prisoner of the Roman government. He was under house arrest, but he did. that prayer was answered. And then it says, and find refreshing rest in your company. By having fellowship with Paul, Paul and the Roman believers, uh, Paul in fellowship with the Roman believers, he would find rest. That's what he's talking about. Uh, we know that we're having Christian fellowship and the fellowship is guided by the Spirit that when we ha sit down with these individuals in the body of Christ and the Spirit is guiding the fellowship, it will refresh us. That's, my, that's why uh, one of the reasons why uh, Paul, it says in Hebrews chapter 10, 
verses 23 through 25, we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves as the habit of some. Because not only do we get our encouragement from the communication of the Word of God, but we get our encouragement from communicating with each other. That's another aspect of Christian fellowship. Not just listening to the Word, but sharing the things of Christ with each other. So, the, uh, you know, for many, many times, uh, we sit down with each other and you come out of there and say, boy, I feel refreshed after being with that group of believers, after being in church. And that's happened to me many times, not only in, in this church and then in a preview, but also at Grace Bible Church where I came from and was ordained. There were many times you had a tough day, but you, after you walked out of there, heard the word of God and had fellowship, you had, uh, you had refreshing rest. You were refreshed. Now, then he goes, here we come to our verse, verse 33. Paul says, Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now verse 33 is what we call a benediction. And it's not only the place where a, a benediction has occurred in the Roman epistle, it actually, a benediction recur, occurs at the end of the, of the whole epistle. Look at, uh, go to, hold your place, look at Romans 16.25. Actually, you can call it a doxology, it's a praise of God. So when he says, the God of peace be with you all, amen, it's a, it's a benediction. But he uses benedictions throughout the epistle. Look at Romans 16.25. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested. And by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith, to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ be the glory forever. Amen. That's a benediction as well. Look it over at uh, back to verse 33 of Romans chapter 15. Romans 15, 33. So Paul says in Romans 15, 33, he says, Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. The word now is transitional. It's the conjunction uh, the, which introduces a statement that brings to an end the sixth and final paragraph of chapter 15 and the first part of his closing that began in Romans 15:14. Now, it's not yet translated here, but the translators put the word be in there. It says, now the God of peace be with you all. That's trying to uh, translate, and that's actually filling in a word that Paul didn't use, but it, they think is implied. Now, Paul's not using what we call the, uh, the verb yinoma, which means to cause oneself to be manifested. So he says, now the God of peace, the word be actually can be translated, cause himself to be manifested. Don't miss that. It's not in the original text, but it's implied, and the translators do be in there to try to, to co convey that idea. They, sometimes what happens is that New Testament writers, and writers of Scripture, and this is common in all languages, uh, it's common. It's found in the statement, to live is Christ, to die is gain, in Philippians. Well, actually, in the Greek, there's no verb there. There's no copulative. Now, why is that the case? Because Paul is being exci he's excited, or he's trying to emphasize the words already in the text, and leaves out the verb. So here, he's leaving out the verb. The word be is not in the original, but it's put in there to smooth out the translation. Now, the reason why I want to point this out is because the word that's actually being omitted by Paul, but it's implied, is the word yenoma, which means to cause oneself to be manifested. That would indicate that Paul's spirit-inspired desire is that, the, is that God the Holy Spirit, who produces peace, would cause himself to be manifested among the Roman believers. So God wants us to have the Holy Spirit manifested in our lives. That's what he's, he's saying. 
That's very important. One of the reasons, one of the ways that God manifests Himself is when we're having fellowship and we're being obedient to the Spirit. And when we're being obedient to the Spirit, the Spirit is causing Himself to be manifested. He's invisible. He's invisible, but He is manifesting Himself when we are applying what He is teaching us in the Scriptures. So this would take place. The Spirit would cause Himself to be manifested. It would take place if the Roman believers continue to obey the commands and prohibitions that Paul issued in the main argument of the epistle. What's the main argument? Romans 1.16 to Romans 15.13. If you want to tell somebody what the Gospel's all about, it's in the main argument of that epistle. There's the clearest and longest delineation of the gospel in all of Scripture. Paul gives us the gospel from beginning to end and, and all of its implications. Not only is it related to the salvation of the unsaved Jews and unsaved Gentiles, but the gospel applies to believers. It's the victory, the great, it's the good news that we're victorious already through our union with Christ over sin, Satan, and his cosmic system. So the gospel is not just related to unbelievers; it's related to the believers, and we know that because of the, of the main argument of Romans chapter uh, in the book of Romans, the main argument that appears there. Now the middle voice of this verb unima uh, is a, a causative middle, and it means that the Holy Spirit will cause himself to be manifested among the believers when they obey his voice, which is heard through the communication of the gospel, which Paul again clearly delineated in Romans 1.16 to Romans 15.13. So we want the Holy Spirit, Paul's saying, the Holy Spirit, he desires that the Holy Spirit manifest himself, cause himself to be manifested among them. But that can't happen, it can only happen, if the Roman believers are being obedient. We have to listen to what the Spirit says to us. But if we ignore the Spirit, if we reject the Spirit, then what's going to happen is the sin nature will manifest itself. See, we have two choices. We can either follow the Spirit's guidance and direction and have the fruit of the Spirit, or we can have, we can have the sin nature manifest itself. And I'll show you a passage in Galatians where Paul talks about this. Now, the optative mood of this verb unima, which, remember, is deliberately omitted by Paul, though implied, is what we call a voluntative optative, and it's expressing Paul's spirit-inspired desire that the Holy Spirit who produces peace in among the Roman believers would cause himself to be manifested among the Roman believers when they obey the Spirit's voice to them through the Word of God. So it was a spirit-inspired desire because Paul wrote Romans 15.33 like he did all of Romans under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it was a desire that he expressed to the Father in prayer. So this verse here, people, is not a prayer. It's a prayer that he expressed to the Father. It's actually a Spirit-inspired desire. And he's conveying it to the Roman believers. This is what I pray to the Father, though he's not actually at this point praying to the Father. He's conveying something to the Roman believers, a prayer that he had to the Father to encourage them. And actually, when he says, Amen there... He's affirming that this was taking place, as we'll see. He's affirming that this was already taking place, that the Spirit was manifesting Himself through the Roman believers in their fellowship. You could tell. How can you tell? How can you tell a church or a local assembly or a group that calls themselves Christians? How can we tell? Let's look at ourselves. How can we tell the Spirit's manifesting Himself through us? There's manifestations. You can tell if somebody's out of fellowship many times through their actions and their words. Because Galatians tells us this. Galatians chapter 5 says, gives us manifestations of the sin nature and manifestations of the Spirit. 
you can have, you have to be discerning. You can't sit there and say, uh, a lot of Christians are, are afraid to say what they call the word judge. They don't understand what the word judge means many times. You are, you're supposed to have discernment. You, have to, you should have discernment, which is judgment, on a person's conduct, its actions, his words, and the Spirit gives you that discernment. And the Holy Spirit and the Word of God is giving us insight into what, how do we know the Spirit is manifesting itself in our lives? How, how can we tell the sin nature is manifesting in our lives? Well, we know if we're obeying the Spirit, it, He will manifest Himself in our fellowship with each other, in our relationships with each other, in our conversations with each other. And we know that the sin nature is manifesting Himself through, by obeying Him, will, it will manifest itself that we're living in our flesh through our conversations with each other and through our relationships with each other and our conduct toward each other. Now when he says, Now may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. The word God, therefore, is not referring to the Father or the Son, but the Holy Spirit. And that's indicated by several factors. One, the grammar of the passage here, and several statements in Romans, and in Romans 15, 22, uh, Galatians 15, uh, chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Let me show you what I mean. First of all, in Romans 15, 33, the word peace there, the word in the Greek functions as a genitive product. That means that, it, that this word peace, in the original, is the product of the noun God, theos, which it stands related to, indicating that God produces peace. So if you look at the passage, it says, Now may the God of peace, it actually should be translated who produces peace. Why do the translators leave, don't do that? Well, they're leaving, it, oh, they're leaving it ambiguous, which is good to do, because they're trying to reach a lot of people. That's up to the interpreter, like myself and you, to figure that out. So they did correctly leave it ambiguous. But uh, my job is to tell you what actually the Spirit's saying. So, the God of peace, or the God who produces peace, that word, uh, Irini, peace, functions as a genitive of product. That's why you should translate it, now the God who produces peace. Now, who produces peace? The Father does, but through an agency. The Scriptures teach it, the Holy Spirit. The Father uses the Spirit and the Son to affect peace in our lives. Secondly, in Romans 14, 17, that passage teaches us that peace and joy is manifested among believers by means of fellowship with the Spirit. Now, if you could hold your, pl uh, hold your place, go to Romans chapter 14. A passage we studied in detail. Look at Romans chapter 14. Look at verse 13. Romans 14, 13. Now in this passage we're going to see that Paul, in Romans 14, 17, instructs the Roman believers that the kingdom of God is by no means characterized by the food they eat or don't eat, or what they drink or don't drink, but rather it's characterized by righteousness, peace, joy, by means of fellowship with the Spirit. Uh, look at Romans 14, 13. Paul says, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this. That means uh, judge, us, judge each other in relation to what we eat or drink. Not to put an end, an obstacle, or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, those uh, Jewish Christians who thought they were still under the law, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you're no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. 
Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. Why? For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Or in other words, by means of the Holy Spirit, or by means of fellowship with the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom of God can manifest itself in believers and their conduct and, and, and uh, their words that they speak to each other. The Holy Spirit can manifest Himself and by doing so, the kingdom of God is manifested on earth. The kingdom of God will be firmly established at the second advent of Christ in His millennial reign on the earth. But we can have a manifestation of it in our meetings with each other, when we have fellowship with each other, when we hear the Word of God and we share the things of Christ with each other, that's when the Spirit is manifesting Himself and the Kingdom of God simultaneously. So, that verse, notice that he says that peace, I took you there because we're talking, God, Paul says in Romans 15, 33, now may the God of peace, or the God who produces peace, be with you all. So the God of peace in Romans 15, 33 is talking about the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it says in Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy. How? In the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, my translation of that verse, verse 17 is, because God the Father's kingdom is as an eternal spiritual truth by no means characterized by food and drink, but rather what? But rather righteousness as well as peace, and in addition joy by means of fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Then Paul says in Romans 15, 30, uh, 13, Romans 15, 13, he shares with his readers the prayer he makes to the Father on their behalf, that the Spirit would cause them to all be filled with joy and peace by exercising faith in what the Spirit says in the Old Testament and through the Lord and the Apostles' teaching that now appears in the Greek New Testament. Uh, look at Romans 15, 13. Romans 15, 13. Now keep in mind Romans 14, 17. Who's producing peace? How is it peace manifested among believers? In and among believers? Fellowship with the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 15, uh, Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope, again, the word God there speaking of the Holy Spirit, again, he's conveying a Spirit-inspired desire for the Roman believers, a desire that he expressed to the Father in prayer, though he's not directly talking to the Father here. Now may the God who produces confidence, that's the Holy Spirit, fill you with all joy and peace. How do we know it's the Holy Spirit that does that? Because Romans 14, 17 says that peace is manifested in among believers through fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Romans 15, 13, the purpose of all this, he teaches, is that they would prosper with a confidence that is divine in quality and character by means of the power of the Spirit and that is appropriated, the power of the Spirit is appropriated through faith in what the Spirit says in the Word of God. Let me give you my translation of Romans 15, 13. Paul says, Now may God the Holy Spirit cause each and every one of you, without exception, to be filled with all joy, as well as peace, by exercising faith, in order that each and every one of you, without exception, would prosper with that confidence, which is divine in quality and character, by means of the power originating from the Holy Spirit. Now, in Romans, go back to Romans 15, 33. And he says, Now may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. The God of peace is the Holy Spirit, we can see. And there's another verse that indicates that this is the case. That God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who produces peace. 
And therefore Romans 15.33 is speaking of the Holy Spirit, not the Father or the Son. Galatians 5.22 and 23 further supports the fact that Romans 15.33 is referring to the Spirit and not the Father or the Son since it teaches that joy and peace are the production of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is, go to Galatians chapter 5 because this is the passage that tells us, it gives us information and helps us to discern how we can, uh, it helps us to understand and discern who's in their flesh and who's not. Who's in fellowship with the Holy Spirit and who's not. They're manifestations of the fact if you are in fellowship with the Holy Spirit or not. There's manifestations of a church in fellowship with the Holy Spirit or not, or living in their flesh. And so this is, this is a very important passage for us to uh, understand. Look at Galatians chapter 5. Look at Galatians chapter 5 verse 13. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Paul says, For you were called... Now, let's little, little stop here for a second. Galatians, okay? They had fallen... Remember we have told you about the... I've told you in the past about the Judaizers. We mentioned them in Romans. Remember that? Well, the Galatians, who were primarily Gentile, were actually fell victim to the Judaizers. The Judaizers were uh, basically trying to get people to fall, go under the law, to get circumcised. Circumcised, they get saved, try to keep the law as the basis for the spiritual life. Well, the, Paul was against that, obviously, because it was contradictory to what grace was all about. So we see that Paul rebuked the Galatians. Now, Paul shows his love for the Galatians by rebuking them, and he rebukes them firmly. Okay, He did not pull any punches with Christians. He told it to them straight. Now, he has got, as, as the process of rebuking them, and challenging them and exhorting them to live the spiritual life, to listen to what the Spirit says and obey the Spirit, he talks to them about how they can determine whether they're in fellowship with the, the Spirit or if they're living in their flesh, this in nature. Look at Galatians 5.13. For you were called the freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, that's the sin nature. But through love, serve one another. God's love, you serve one another. You know, you always can tell that you're serving God, is, uh, and you're serving God in His love, and that you don't, you're not doing it for the pastor or a deacon or anybody else. You know that when the person, the church you serve in, like for instance, the pastor becomes obnoxious to you, and you're still faithful in doing what you're doing for the church, you still are faithful in serving there. That shows you that you're doing it for the Lord and you're serving in love. Because you're, let's say the pastor's obnoxious to you. Well, if you're operating in God's love, you can handle an obnoxious pastor. You can handle an obnoxious deacon. You can handle an obnoxious Christian. Because, and you won't let that affect your service. You serve because you're doing it under the Lord. You love them, forgive them, patient and tolerant of them, right? That's God's love. But when we quit, Okay, when we quit and ch Christians bounce from churches to churches, what happens is they're manifesting the fact that they're not operating in love and that they're trying to live the spiritual life in human love. And human love can't cut it. It will not cut it. Uh, I was talking to a, an individual. Uh, uh, he was uh, belonged to this church. 
and the pastor was obnoxious. He did something. He was being a jerk. And what, what happened, he was doing something. He was serving in a particular part of the ministry. And he still hung in the ministry, even though the pastor was going through a tough time with his flesh. So what they did, what he did, is he continued to do what he was doing in that ministry. He didn't stop because the pastor had, uh, had a bad day or a bad week. He continued to do it because he was doing it under the Lord. And he was loving that pastor by forgiving him, being patient and tolerant of him. It's something he just didn't talk about and put it on his refrigerator. He actually practiced that. you know. So this is what he's talking about. Paul says, I want you to, through love, serve one another. Love, God's love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, the words there in the Greek are taken from wild animals dest destroying each other. So he says, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit. That means your lifestyle, the way you conduct yourself. Walk by the Spirit. How do you do it? Obey what the Spirit tells you in the Word of God. And you will, and look what it says. If you don't want to live in your sin nature, it's simple. Just obey what the Spirit says. Don't try to fight the sin nature. He says, walk by the Spirit, and you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. So you don't have to worry about being occupied with sin. If you're occupied with what the Spirit says, and the Word of God, you won't live in your flesh. You won't live in your sin nature. And a lot of Christians try to deal with the sin nature by getting emotional and trying to kick themselves. And, and basically, the heathen do that. Cutting themselves up, making them feel, you know, this, uh, when I was in, the, in, the, uh, in this other denomination, you know, uh, you basically beat yourself up. A lot of people still do that. Even Christians say, they beat themselves up. Even though God's word says, if you confess the sin, you're restored, if he forgives you your sin, you're faithful and just to forgive you your sin, that with the result that he purifies you from all unrighteousness. So if we're obeying what the Spirit says, then we won't carry out the desires of the flesh. So stop trying to fight the sin nature. The just obey what the Spirit says. Be occupied with what God says. And then he goes on to say, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. So that's why you have a battle. Because you have the sin nature in you, and you have the Spirit. And so that's why you have a war many times you have this conflict. And it's, it's natural to have this conflict. You will not have this conflict when you get your resurrection body or, or when you die, whichever comes first. So therefore, we have this battle. It's with us every step of the way. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, but these are in opposition to one another. Why? So that you may not do the things that you please. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now here we go with the manifestations of the flesh and the spirit. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality. When we get involved in these things, then we're living in our flesh. And everybody has a sin nature. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, Things like these of which I forewarned you, meaning he taught them about these things, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice, that word is in the present tense, it means habitually practice. Will we fall into immorality periodically, maybe in a moment? Yeah, if you look at so much as a look at another woman for lust, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. Boom, that moment you're out of fellowship. The moment you thought that thought. 
The moment you you thought of stealing something, the moment you got bitter, that minute, boom, you've sinned. You've got to confess it. So he's saying here that if you're doing these things habitually, it's a lifestyle. The word practice means a lifestyle. He says that those who practice these things habitually, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. It has nothing to do with your salvation. He's talking to believers. He's not saying you're going to lose your salvation. He's saying you're not going to get rewards. You'll lose rewards. Then here's the manifestations of the Spirit. How do we know that the Spirit is working in our lives? As individuals and as a church. Here we, here's how you know. But the fruit of the Spirit, or the production of the Spirit, is love. God's love. Forgiving one another. Being patient and tolerant of one another, as God in Christ has been patient and tolerant and forgiving of us. Love. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. If you uncover a sin, you are not operating in love. You're living in your flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, which we talk, Paul's talking about in Romans 15.33. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You can control yourself. Your, your anger, your body, your tongue. Against such things... There is no law. Now look what he says. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So therefore, as was the case in Romans 15.5 and 13 and also in Romans 15.33, this statement in Romans 15.33, Now may the God of peace be with you all, is technically not a prayer because it's not addressed specifically to the Father. However, it was an intercessory prayer that Paul prayed. So what he's doing in Romans 15.33, which you can return to, what he's doing there, he's revealing his spirit-inspired desire for the Roman church in an indirect means of encouraging the Roman believers to go forward in the Father's plan. So when he says, Now may the God of peace be with you all, or may the God, may God the Holy Spirit who produces peace be with you all, or man cause himself to be manifested among you all, Amen. He's, say, he's saying that to encourage them. He's trying. See, one of the ways a pastor operates, and a good teacher of the Word of God and pastor, is not only does he rebuke, but he encourages. And he has to be very patient. Just like you have to be, as a parent, patient with your children, so a pastor has to be patient with his flock. And he has to exhort, he has to rebuke, he has to be encouraging, he's like a coach. He's just like, almost just like a football coach. I know some people don't like sports analogies, but Paul used them all the time. And there's nothing wrong to use a sports analogy. Basically, he's just like a coach. He's trying to encourage, implore, rebuke if necessary, correct, all because he loves them. Just like a parent would do a, rebuke a child, and just like a parent would encourage a child, all these things are manifestations of love. So, go back to your Shemit Romans 15.33. Paul says in Romans 15.33, Now, the God, or we can say God the Holy Spirit, who produces peace, be with you all, cause himself to be manifested among you all. Now, the word peace there is the word Irene. We get the word, uh, the lady's name, Irene, from it. And it refers to the peace of God that is produced by the Spirit in and among the Roman believers. He does, this when they he does this when they continue to obey the commands and prohibitions that Paul issued in the main argument of the epistle. So what he's saying is that he wants, he's, he's affirming, when he says amen, he's affirming that the Holy Spirit 
is manifesting himself because they have peace among themselves. There's no fighting with each other. They're not fighting against each other. There's peace among each other. They're in fellowship with the Spirit. They have peace with themselves. They have peace with God. See, we can't be at peace with other people unless we know that we're at peace with God. If we have, we have war with people, we fight with people, that means we're not recognizing, if, if we're talking as Christians here from that perspective, then we're, not, we're failing to realize that we have peace with God. A person who's at peace with God and knows it will have peace with others. Okay? So the, Paul talks a lot about peace. He talks a lot about peace. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1. We've seen a lot about this subject of peace. The minute we converted to Christianity and believed in Jesus Christ the Savior, we received peace with God. That lays the groundwork for us to experience that peace in time uh, with other Christians and have a, a peaceful or relaxed mental attitude in our hearts as individuals, Christians. Look, it says in Romans 5.1. Romans 5.1. Therefore, he says, having been justified by faith. Faith in who? Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is God after you for a sin that you committed in 1942? It says, my Bible, that you have peace with God. It says in my Bible, in Romans 8.1, that there's therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You have peace with God. Well, what if I sin, Pastor Bill? What does it say in 1 John 1.9? Confess it. Confess it. Okay? God's not over your shoulder looking to beat you over the head with a baseball bat. God's not like that. If He sent His Son to the cross while we were His enemies, how can we say that about Him? If He was looking to do the best for us and looking down for our best interest when we were against Him, I mean, how can we get that? How can, see, religion has a warped attitude about God. And Christians who have been indoctrinated from the false doctrine of this world by the major denominations who are, uh, are religious and legalistic, they like that they portray God as an ogre who's looking to beat you over the head for your past. If that was the case, none of us would be existing. We'd all be in the lake of fire. We have peace with God, he says, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Uh, look at uh, Romans chapter 8. So there we have it. We're into the family of God. We believe in Christ as our Savior. We converted to Christianity through faith in Christ. We're at we're peace. God's at peace with us and we're at peace with Him. What do we do after we've been converted to Christianity? How do we experience that peace? Look at it says in Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 1. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Other people might want to condemn you, but God hasn't condemned you, so where do you get off condemning another Christian? I'd like to know. God says, he has, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's God's verdict toward us as believers. For the law of the Spirit, look what he says, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh as human nature. 
when he died on the cross. The sin they're talking about the sin nature. By the then he says in verse four, so that the requirement of the law, perfect obedience, might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now look what he says. For those who are according to the flesh, according to those beings, those who submit to the sin nature, set their minds, they're preoccupied on the things of the flesh. But those who are submitting to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the sin nature is what? Death. Remember we studied? That means lo- that's another expression for loss of fellowship with God. He's talking in the context of believers. So we don't die physically when we sin. He's talking about losing fellowship with God. Theologians call it temporal spiritual death. Paul just calls it death here. So being out of fellowship with God, he's saying, God who is life, is death. So when we're living in our flesh, we're living in death. Death is the absence of a relationship with God. Then look what he says. Again, in verse 6. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Okay? So if you concentrate on what the Spirit said, the Word of God, don't listen. Don't listen to the world. Focus on the Word of God. Set your mind on the things above, your relationship with Christ, and not on the things on the earth. Concentrate what the Spirit says, and you will have this peace. And though the world could be flying out of control around you, you're in the eye of the storm, you have peace with God. Doesn't matter what happens, all the all the craziness that flies around, the gossip, the the uh, the judging, the maligning, the vilification. Doesn't matter. Look at Jesus. Look at how Jesus handled adversity. He had total peace as he was being the sinless one was being accused, and he went to the he went to the cross, and for the joy set before him, he endured the cross for us. He had peace in the midst of all that. Paul, he had peace. The peace of God, even though he was many times persecuted for being a proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Persecuted by his own countrymen, his Jewish countrymen. So notice that peace there, we can, is talking about this peace in an experiential sense, there in Romans chapter 8. Uh, look at Romans chapter 12. Look at Romans chapter 12. Paul talks about peace here as well. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 9. <clears throat> Romans chapter 12, look at verse 9. Again, we studied this whole thing in detail. I'm just going to go over some things about peace here that are in the verse and some other things. Look at Romans 12, 9. Paul says, let love be without hypocrisy. That means, don't say, you know what hypocrisy is? Putting on a mask. Pretending you... Uh, it being, uh, let's put it this way. He's saying, don't be two-faced. Don't say, I love you, and then you have a knife in the that person's back. Okay? Don't be... Someone that says, I'm, uh, 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 the Greeks used to have a, what they call a hypocrites. It was a mask that you portrayed yourself as somebody else. The actors used to do that. Now... What he's saying here is, I don't want you to be a hypocrite. Don't say you love your fellow believer while you're stabbing them in the back. Meaning, you're portraying yourself, I'm your friend, I love you, but meanwhile, you're, you're killing them and assassinating them, character assassinating uh, in the background. Look at it says, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another, and brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, 
rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints and practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. The sin nature says, I'm going to get you back. Sin nature says, all right, you, the sin nature is like this. You ever see, you ever hear Joe Pesci? You ever see the, uh, uh, the Goodfellas? You ever see that movie, Goodfellas? Joe Pesci. You hit me, come back, you hit me with a baseball bat, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you with a knife. You come back with me a knife, I'll get you with a gun. I mean, basically, <laughs> like the Goodfellas, I'm going to get you, I'm going to crush you, you hit me, I'll, do I amuse you? Am I, who am I, funny? Ha, 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 remember Joe Pesci in that movie? That's the way he, that's the sin nature. Vindictive. He's saying, don't do that. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Identify with them when they're happy. Weep with those who weep. Identify with those who are suffering. Be of the same mind toward one another. Don't think you're better than the other, another Christian. You're not. Do not be haughty in mind, arrogant. But associate with the lowly. There are some Christians will only hang out with people who are in their social strata. They hang out with the wealthy people. They will never hang out with somebody who's at poverty level. Because it's beneath them. That's what he's saying. Don't do. James talks about that as well. Then he says, at the end of verse 16, Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil to evil to anyone. Someone does evil to you. You're not justified to turn around doing the same to them or something likewise. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Now listen, he says, If possible, sometimes it's not possible. So far as it depends on you, though, be at peace with all men. Be at peace with all men. So the Roman believers were doing these things. They were at peace with each other. They had peace of God in their lives and themselves individually. And they also had it as a local assembly. So go back to Romans 15.33. Romans chapter 15, verse 33. So Paul says, Now the God of peace, or the God of the Holy Spirit, who produces peace, caused himself to be manifested among you all. So the word peace there is the word Arini. It speaks of the peace of God that is produced in us by the Holy Spirit. And it's also produced not only in us as individuals, but also between us. Now, it's used here, this word's used here, as a genitive or product. And what does that mean? It indicates that God the Holy Spirit produces peace in us and among us. And, and also in among the Roman believers. When they continue to obey Paul's Spirit-inspired prohibitions and commands, in the main argument of the epistle. If they obey, continue to obey what he taught them in this epistle, the peace of God will be manifested in their lives as individuals and as a local assembly. Now, when he says the peace of God there, that phrase appears in several places in Paul's writings. It appears in 2 Corinthians 13.11, Philippians 4.9, and 1 Thessalonians 5.23, 2 Thessalonians 3.16, and Hebrews 13.20. It's also found in the Septuagint the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. So it's found in quite a, uh, quite a few places in the New Testament. Let me show you, hold your place, look at Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. Hold your place, look at Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. This is a cool passage. I love this passage. This is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. Look at Philippians 4 6. And uh, it says in uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. This is great. Look what he says. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, 
by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What will happen if you are not anxious for anything, but pray instead? And thank God for the things in your life. Look at the glasses half full rather than half empty. Though you're going through adversity, he said, don't be anxious. Don't look at the circumstances. Look at the Lord. Look at your relationship with Him. Thank Him. Go to Him in prayer. And then what will happen? Here's the consequence. Verse 7. The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. How can you handle that? How can you go through that situation? You've got cancer. How can you handle that? You've got the peace of God. It's beyond all comprehension. I can't explain it. You ever have that? When you come in a situation... And you, people say, how can you, you go, you're going through so much, how can you have that kind of peace? Is it, what's going on? Are you in denial? No, get the peace of God. God gives you that peace. The Holy Spirit gives you that peace. You can't, it's beyond all comprehension. You can't even explain it to people. Then look what he says in verse 8. Talking about what you should concentrate on. Your mind, your thinking. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. He's actually speaking of the teaching of the Word of God. Whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. It means dwell on the Word of God. The things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and what will happen? And the peace of God will be with you all. I'll go back to Romans 15, 33 and we'll close. Great passage. So Paul says in Romans 15.33, Now, the God of peace, as we saw, the God who produces peace, or God the Holy Spirit who produces peace, be with you all, we could say, cause himself to be manifested with you all, or as we'll see, among you all. The phrase with you all indicates that Paul's Spirit-inspired desire that the Holy Spirit who produces peace in and among the Roman believers would cause himself to be manifested among them as they obey his voice. So as they obey the Spirit, who produces peace in and, in and among them. When they do that, He will manifest Himself among them. And when He says, Amen, that is an affirmation. It's a strong affirmation. It affirms that God the Holy Spirit was already producing this peace in and among the Roman believers and causing Himself to be manifested in their lives and in their fellowship. So when He says, Now the God of peace be with you all, Amen, Amen says, it's already happening. So it is, if we could translate it. Let me give you my translation. And then I'll give you a couple of uh, comments. Romans 15.33 Now may God the Holy Spirit, who produces peace in and among you, cause Himself to be manifested among all of you as a corporate unit. So it is. How does He know that's already happening? Because as we get to Romans 16, He got reports from people. He knew people. Like Prisca and Aqua, Priscilla and Aquila. They gave him reports about the Roman believers. Paul already confirms that they were already living the spiritual life, that they are already applying the things that he taught them in this epistle. Romans 1.8, Romans chapter 15, verses 13 and 14. Romans 16, also, verse 9, I believe. They were already obedient. They were ob he rejoiced over their obedience. So this, when he says, so it is, he knows it's already taken place because of the reports he received from his friends in Rome. So to summarize what we learned in this verse here this evening, Paul expresses, Paul's, Paul expresses his Spirit-inspired desire that God the Holy Spirit, who produces peace, would cause himself to be manifested among the Roman believers. And amen, 
that affirms that it's already taken place. The Amen, you could actually translate it, so it is. So, the question we have to ask ourselves, is it the case in our lives? Is it the truth that the Holy Spirit is in our lives and manifesting the peace of God in our hearts? Or are we living in our flesh and listening to the devil's kingdom? Are we, are we, is the Holy Spirit, is it the case that the Holy Spirit is in our fellowship with each other? Or is the sin nature governing our fellowship with each other? Only we can ask that, answer that question. It's only between us and God that we can answer that question. And if it is, if it's the case that we're not, then let's be honest with ourselves and let's start making, confess the sin and do what the Spirit says and be humble. And if we're already doing the thing, that God has asked us to do, and we are manifesting this peace, stay humble still. Because we could fall back into the trap of living in the sin nature. Just one bad decision, one mental attitude sin, could cause us to lose fellowship. And of course we regain fellowship through 1 John 1, 9. And we maintain fellowship by bringing our thoughts into obedience to the Spirit. Well, we'll pick this up tomorrow evening. Uh, same time, we're going to start. Uh, we're going to do an overview of Romans 16. Every time we begin a new chapter, uh, we always do an overview, and we'll begin the uh, the uh, the, uh, long, uh, the final uh, stretch of Romans, the book of Romans. We'll begin Romans 16 tomorrow evening. So, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Father, we thank you for all those who are here this evening, and those who might be listening on Pal Talk. We pray that the Holy Spirit would challenge us and encourage us, instruct us in righteousness, and rebuke us if necessary so that we might continue forward in your plan and bring glory to you and receive rewards that bring honor and glory to you and ourselves at the Bema Seat. And we pray, Father, also that you would give us traveling mercies on the way home uh, um, for those in, here in, the, uh, in this household, and also that you would bless the fellowship and that this fellowship after service would be guided and directed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. In our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.